All right, well, good morning, everybody. Glad you could join us for our Sunday worship. This is your first time here. My name is Thomas. I'm part of the pastoral staff, and really glad you could be here. Uh, a couple of quick previews just for our whole church to know. I mentioned this to our members in our members meeting, but for the whole church, uh, during the summer, we take a break from certain activities that we do, like college ministry takes a break, our community groups take a break for the summer, our formation groups take a break as well. So the month of like end of June, July, August is a little bit of a pause there, but it doesn't mean that our church isn't doing anything. There are a couple of new opportunities for our church to gather to do some things together as a community. Uh, one of them that we'll be sh- uh, sharing more information next week is our summer book club. And so this is actually a way where we're going to have different homes, uh, invite people who's interested in reading through different books about different topics that might be interesting for us to really grow and to learn and take advantage of the free time of the summer. It's also a great way to connect with people that perhaps we don't normally connect with and we all have the same type of interest in whatever subject's being read upon. And so I know some of us you haven't read since high school. All good. This could be the beginning of a new habit or a new practice for us. And that's going to be sign-ups will be uh, in the summer, and we'll be explaining what we'll be going through and what that looks like in a little bit as well. We're also going to be having, for all the ladies, we're going to be having a praise and prayer night for all the sisters. Uh, for everyone who's here, I know uh, we don't know exactly how, you know, who are the men, who are the women, but we wanted to have a space where all the sisters could come together, and our church would just provide an arena for us just to come before the Lord, just pray together, just to praise Him, and so more details about that will be given as well. And also for all the families and anyone who's a young adult, well, we look for different activities for our church to gather, to share interests together, just to spend time together, because we want to be a community that connects and knows one another. So be on the lookout for those things, and that'll be happening throughout the summer. Uh, but on Sundays, one thing if, that we've been going through, you've been joining us for the past few weeks, is we've been going through a sermon series on what's known as the Letter of James. It's a very unique letter. If you're familiar with the New Testament, most of the letters in the New Testament, it's very linear, and it go, builds upon topic upon topic. But the, the Letter of James, it's very topical, where James just kind of hits different points. And his whole purpose in the letter is he wants to show what life looks like if you believe in the gospel. And the past few weeks, James chapter 1 to 2, he mentions how if you believe in the gospel, it should really shape the way you experience suffering. It should shape the way you experience listening, how you experience community, and even how you experience faith. The gospel should change all of that and shape it. Today in James chapter 3, we're going to look at how the gospel should shape something that we all do every single day, how we speak to one another, how we talk. And so if you have your Bibles, if you turn to James chapter 3, and if you don't have your Bibles, it should be in the program. James chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 to 12. And at our church, we believe that our God's alive and living, and every time he speaks, he's speaking to us. So can we all rise together as we read this passage with one, not with one voice, I'll read it for us, and we can all listen together. James chapter 3, reading verses 1 to 12. James writes, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. 
With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray for us before we begin. Lord, would your spirit just stir in our hearts? Would you awaken our souls and help us to see how we can live in light of the gospel that we profess to believe? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You ever notice when you go to visit a doctor for a checkup, the first thing they ask you to do is open your mouth and say, ah. The reason why the doctor does that is because one of the main things they're looking for and looking at is your tongue, because your tongue provides a window to your overall physical health. If you notice, if they notice swollenness or inflammation or discoloration, it's often a sign that something deeper is going on with your body, and that's why the doctors do that. And James, he's telling us something similar today. He's inviting all of you to open your mouths right now and say, ah, because your tongue provides a window not just to your physical health, but also to your spiritual health. How do you talk to people? How do you use your tongue? What tone do you usually have when you speak to people? What kind of conversations do you regularly engage with? James argues the words you use, the tone you normally have, those words, it serves as a sign that something deeper is going on with your soul. And here's the good news is you can find out any day what the state of your soul is. Because there's no muscle in your body that you use more than your tongue. Someone actually compiled this. They said the average person spends 15 to 20,000 words a day. I have no idea how they calculated that, but that's what's out there. 15 to 20,000 words a day we speak. That's enough every day, if you wrote that all down, to fill out a 50-page book. Every day you could publish a 50-page book with just the words that you say. That means once a week, the average person speaks about 100 to 140,000 words a week. That's enough to fill one Harry Potter book. All your words compiled is a Harry Potter book. And that means within a year, you speak about five to seven million words a year. That's enough to fill out a Harry Potter series seven times. Seven different Harry Potter series. Can you imagine? That's the words we speak. Can you imagine if someone wrote down every word that you spoke? Imagine just this past week. Imagine just yesterday, all the words that you spoke were written down in a book. What would the reader think about you? How would your personality come off based upon that book? This all sounds a little dramatic, like, whoa, we're, you know, the things I say doesn't really mean much, but that's because we don't really consider the significance of our words. And the reason why we don't consider that is I like the way these two authors, Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp, they put it. They quote it like this. They say quotes on the screen. Because our communication largely takes place in the inconsequential moments of everyday life, it's easy to underestimate its significance. The moments are rare when what you say will literally be life-changing. But what sets the course of a person's life are the way you respond to the little moments. Your everyday communication influences the shape, quality, and direction of your relationships. Every day, your words give your relationships their tone. In other words, what they're arguing is that your words, maybe in the moment, doesn't seem like much, but compiled over time, it actually does something it shapes you, it shapes the people around you, it has significance. And James right now, he wants us all to pause, 
and to pay attention to the words that come out of our mouths. And he wants us to recognize three things. Number one, the power of our words. Our words have power. Secondly, the problem of our words. There's a lot of problems with the way we speak. And then lastly, the path of healing for our words. The power, the problem, the path of healing. First, let's talk about the power of our words. Anyone here looking for a new career? Any college students, you don't know what you're going to do after you graduate? You're looking for something where, you know, I wish it could be high pay, but I don't have to take extra education, nice benefits. Just know if that's you, I have a job recommendation. You ever heard of a mining engineer? Mining engineers, man, all you need is a BA. Starts at 90K a year and great benefits. Like, amazing benefits. You know why? It is one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. A lot of people die as mining engineers. And the reason why is because you deal with dangerous stuff. There's heavy machinery. There's a lot of chemicals you inhale. There's a lot of explosions. I looked it up. There's people who regularly die in this job. But I also looked up, just to know if you wanted to get this job, there are 30 openings in California. Go for it. It's awesome. But it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. And James, he says something similar. He gives a warning saying, do you know what else is a dangerous job? Like one of the most dangerous jobs out there. A religious teacher. Dangerous stuff, James says. Look what he says in verse 1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. James says, man, if you want to be a teacher, dangerous stuff. You're in for some dangerous stuff ahead. You know why? Because you deal with dangerous stuff. One of the most dangerous things you could ever deal with. Words. Words are very dangerous in James's mind. And it's kind of peculiar because you don't hear anybody today describe words as that dangerous. But James, he, in his brain, he's like, no, this is dangerous stuff. And the reason why James says this is because, remember, James, he's a, he's a Jewish man. And he's a follower of Jesus. And so the person who's writing this letter, his brain is informed by the Torah, by the Old Testament, and by the, the Gospels, Jesus' teachings. In the Torah, the Old Testament, if you ever read through that, there's so many different passages that constantly warn about the tongue, about words, how you speak. Most famously in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs has whole sections warning people not about your fist, not about your feet, not about your eyes, but it's about your, your mouth, your tongue. In fact, in the book of Proverbs alone, 54 times it warns people about how you speak and how you use your words. In the Gospels, New Testament, Jesus, he warns his followers, telling them that your words are so significant that God, he's going to judge you by how you speak and what you say. Most famously in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 to 37, this is what Jesus says. He says, quote, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. I have no idea what that's going to look like, the final day, how Jesus is going to do that. But he's saying that on the last day, every little careless comment you make to each other, every conversation you have, every word you say under your breath, there's an account for that, Jesus tells us. And so James, that's his background. That's how he understands words. And so James, he's writing to the churches, telling us, don't underestimate the power of words. They have way more power than people realize. And he emphasizes this by giving two illustrations. First, he compares it to a horse. In verse 3, look what James says. Now, we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us. We direct our whole bodies. 
James is mentioning a horse because back then that was the largest, quote, machine that human beings would ride on. So big, powerful, and yet what controls it? This small bit. This small little thing in its mouth moves and guides this giant animal. And then look at the next verse in verse 4. He says, and consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will the pilot directs. Ships were the largest moving vehicle in the, in the sea. And James goes, but do you realize what moves it? It's a small little pilot moving this little wheel. And so James's whole point is he's trying to emphasize just because it's really small, don't underestimate it. It is powerful stuff. And that's your tongue. That's your words. Verse five, look what James says. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. A few years ago, it was the 4th of July, I remember I went and stopped by one of those markets where they sell firecrackers. I'm like, dude, I'm going to put on a firework show for my kids. My kids are about eight, no, seven, five, and newborn. And I remember I brought home the fireworks, tiny little firecrackers. I lit them up, and I was just waiting for the show to happen. You know, Disneyland, like just like nice musical stuff. Oh my gosh, I don't know what I bought. It just went crazy. Like it started firing everywhere, the fireworks. It made loud noises. My kids started screaming and crying and they ran to their house. My wife was like plugging her ears going, what are you doing? The neighbors come out thinking someone's shooting each other. And I were thinking like, oh my goodness, like what did I just buy? Like what just happened here? And I realized looking back, like I totally underestimated the power of these small firecrackers and I caused a lot of unnecessary trauma to my family. And James, he's saying the same thing. He's saying, don't underestimate the power of your words because you're capable of causing a lot of unnecessary trauma to people. Because it's powerful. It's so powerful. And James, he keeps, he keeps talking about this throughout the letter. And the biblical authors, they all talk about words are powerful, way more powerful than you think. Why? Why does the Bible say this? Let's do a little Bible trivia. In the Bible, who is the first character to ever speak out loud? The first character. It's very simple. Genesis 1. The first person to speak is God. God speaks, and do you notice when God speaks, something happens, right? Things get created. Things happen. One way you could put it is when God speaks, God creates reality. Something happens when he speaks. There's power in words. Now, who's the second person to speak in the Bible? The second person. Very simple. Genesis 2. It's us, people. We are made in the image of God. And notice that we are the only people, the only creatures that speak. Animals do not speak. Insects don't speak. Because when animals, they make noises. They make noises to express themselves, to communicate. But human beings, we are capable of speaking words like our creator, according to Genesis. And when we speak, we don't create reality, but we shape reality. Our words are more than just communication. Our words are more than just self-expression. Something happens when we speak. It does not create, but it shapes reality. If you want to know examples of that, think about the way you view people. The way you view other people, it could be radically shaped depending on what someone tells you. I remember I hosted this past week a married couple. And what, usually when we have dinner with married couples, one of the questions we ask is, how did you two get together? How did you meet? Did you meet and just fall in love? And the wife was like, no. When I met my husband for the first time, I had zero interest in ever dating him. He was younger than me. He didn't really seem that like, attractive to me. I just did not see him that way at all. But you know what changed everything? She went to an event. She happened to take a picture with this guy. 
And one of her friends said, oh, this guy looks really nice you took a picture with. You should consider dating him. You guys will look good together. And in that moment, it was like, huh, for her. And she looked at him differently, and now they are married. What happened? Words are not just words. They have the power to shape reality, to shape the way you view other people. Let's get a little bit deeper. Don't just think about other people, but think about how you view yourself. Think about your self-image. Do you realize the way you view yourself, it's deeply shaped by words? Why are some of you so confident in yourself? Why are you so confident in your job? Or why are some of you have such low self-esteem? Why are you so self-conscious about the things you do? It's because your self-image, it is an accumulation of all the verdicts that you've heard throughout your life from your parents, your teachers, your friends. Because words, they're not just words, it's not just expression, it's not just communication. It has the power to shape reality, to shape the way that you even view yourself. And James's question is, do you recognize that? Do you recognize your words have way more impact on people than you could ever realize? This means that if James is saying, and if the Bible is saying is true, your words have power to like really hurt people, like in very deep ways. And I think all of us, we had experiences like that, where a lot of our pain came from people's words. I remember the first time I taught a Bible study. This is my very first time, fresh in seminary. I'll never forget this. I went, I taught a Bible study, and then go into your breakout groups. And I remember just hearing someone say, why did I come today? That was a waste of my time. I remember when I heard that, oh my gosh, it crushed me. The next time they asked, you want to teach a Bible study? I'm like, heck no. I ain't going to teach a Bible study. It just really, the words really jacked me. It really hurt me. It was soul crushing. Because words have power. Conversely though, your words not only can hurt people with, with, because it has power, but you also realize your words can really help people. They can be so life-giving. I remember years later, I preached my very first sermon. So really pressure, like you go up there, fresh in seminary. I remember after I was done preaching, I had no idea how it was. But a member, random member of the church came up to me and said, Tom, that was amazing. And they walked away. And I felt amazing. I felt awesome. Now, what's most interesting about both those situations is I guarantee neither of those members remember what they said. I bet you that guy who bashed my Bible study has no clue that he even said that. Nor that other member who actually complimented saying that was amazing probably does not remember that 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 person said that. And even more interesting is, I don't even know what they're saying is true. The sermon might have been terrible. It probably was. It was my first one. The Bible study might have been great. And yet their words, their words shaped my reality. It shaped the way I viewed myself. It shaped the way I viewed the event. That's the power of words. And James says, do you realize you have that power? Do you realize what your words do? Married couples, do you realize what your words do to each other? Husband, do you realize the way you speak to your wife, what that does to her? Wives, do you realize the tone you use for the husbands, what that does to him? Your words literally shape your relationship. If your relationship is really negative and toxic or feels pretty discouraging, just know most likely words have to do with it. Your tone has to do with it. Just conversely, if your relationship is awesome and life-giving, your words probably have something to do with it. Do you realize how you speak to each other? Parents, do we realize how we speak to our kids, it literally shapes our kids? Because it shaped us. Think about our parents. A lot of us here, we were shaped so deeply by the way our parents speak, spoke to us. 
And do we realize that the main way we're going to really shape our children is oftentimes the way we speak to them, how we talk to them? Everybody, even if, you don't, if you're not married, if you don't have kids, the way you speak to your coworkers, the way you speak to your friends, the way you speak to the barista, you have power to ruin their day or to make their day. That's the power of words. And James wants us to recognize this is what we all have because we are created in the image of God and our words do something more than just express ourselves or communicate. It can literally shape reality for people. And that leads to the second point, the problem, the problem of our words. So even though our words have power and it can help people, James, he mainly focuses on how our words often hurt people. Because James understands human beings. He knows that we have the tendency to use this power of words, not for good, but for evil. Now, how do we do this? And why do we do this? Let's talk about one at a time. How do our words hurt people? James tells us in verse six to eight, he describes like what the tongue is capable of. Look at what he says in verse six. The tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It is placed among our members. And then in verse eight, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. A lot of interesting phrases he describes the tongue. The tongue is a fire. What he's saying, your words, it causes damage like a fire. It burns things slowly. It burns, it burns, it causes destruction. That's what your tongue does. He causes a world of unrighteousness, meaning your words often reflect not the kingdom, but the world. Not the values of peace, truth, and love, but the values of whatever culture you live in. And our words, our tongue, tends to be a deadly poison. Uh, It's like a venom that when it strikes somebody, it paralyzes them, it shuts them down. That's what our words normally function like. Now, James does not give specific examples of how this actually plays out in a community because it works differently in every community. And so the question to ask ourselves is, well, how does our words damage people in our community? In Orange County, in the suburbs here, how do we speak to each other? You know, I had to think about putting on my pastoral hat, and I thought if there's five, at least five ways, there's probably more, the five categories of how our words, we use it to hurt each other and see which one fits you. Here's the five. Number one is this, anger. Angry words. Not feeling angry. Feeling angry is natural. You can't control that. But some of us here, we use our anger to fuel angry words to attack each other. When someone corrects you going, hey, when you did this, that really bothered me. How do we respond in anger? Well, let me tell you how you bothered me. Oh, that's, you're using your words to attack somebody. When you're offended by somebody, you will oftentimes be stern with them, maybe yell at them. And when you live with somebody who uses angry words, you know how people experience that person? You walk on eggshells around them. You have no idea when they're going to snap. Because you're just, you use words with anger. And this is why a lot of us here, we are traumatized from our childhood. Because we just had experiences with people who use something as powerful as words and unleash anger upon us. Because again, words have power. And it damages the soul. That might be a few of us. Some of us here, it's not anger that how we use our, misuse our words, but it's uh, criticism. Criticism. You are really good at pointing out problems. You are really good when you hear something, you go, oh, I see the problem with that. Man, you know how many meetings I've had where I'm in a meeting? I'm like, hey, guys, I, you know, in my brain, I'm like, I thought about this for like weeks. So let me present it to this group. What do you guys think of this idea? And it's quiet for two seconds. And the first guy goes, that's stupid. That would never work at our church. You know why? This, 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 this. And the whole room, just the air comes out. Just a discouraging meeting the rest of the time. Because for people who use their words to criticize things, we know we're right. And you're probably right. 
It is probably a problem. It probably won't work. But the reason why that's so damaging, even though it's true, is you're not thinking about the person who's saying it. You're not thinking about the thoughts that they put behind their words. You're just thinking about truth and what you see. And that's the critical spirit. That's the person who speaks critically. And some of us, that's kind of the way we speak. We just criticize things. Here's another way we misuse our words. Third one is gossip. Gossip is, very simply, you talk about people with other people. Have you heard this about this person? Did you know that this person did this? Or here's the biggest one. Let's keep this between us, okay? But I got something to tell you. Man, this type of talk destroys community. It destroys community. Let me give you an example of how it destroys community. I remember one time I was talking to somebody, and they're like, hey, Tom, I have to tell you this. That person, they have a problem with you. I'm like, oh, why? I had no idea. Because you said this and this at the meeting, and I think it really offended them. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to go talk to them. No, 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 no. They told me not to tell you. So if you tell them that, they'll know I told you, so you can't tell them that, okay? I just want to let you know, though. Okay, next day, I see that person who talked about me, and now it's weird. I have no idea how to gauge with them, because I know that they don't, they're kind of mad at me, but at the same time, like, I'm not allowed to talk to them because it'll rat the other person out. So now you just have this weird, dysfunctional relationship, and when you see that going on in the church, like, that's what's going on. We are talking about each other, we're not talking with each other, and we're just reporting it to one another, and it just destroys community. And it's all because of words, the misuse of words. Here's a fourth one, fourth way, sarcasm. Oh man, this is like a, a California thing or a Portland thing, I don't know what it is, but sarcasm is everything is funny to you. Everything you make light of. Everything is a joke. Everything you kind of use for somebody to kind of point fun. Somebody goes, hey, I started a new hobby. I started skateboarding. <laughs> you would do that. What in the world? Like, why would you say that? But that's sarcasm. Whenever someone talks about deep stuff, like, man, my week, I was so sad. Dude, why are you being so serious, man? And it's like this kind of like, like tone where everything stays at this kind of shallow, make fun level. And when you have all your relationships like that, it just feels like swimming in the shallow pool. You just can never get deep about anything. And some of us, that's just our language. That's like our native accent. We're just sarcastic about everything. And here's the last one. This one doesn't seem explicitly hurtful, but yet it is. It's uh, silence. This is when you should be using your words and you choose not to. Your friend is dating the wrong person. I know anything could happen though, but this is like a toxic relationship and you say nothing. I wish you well. I hope it goes okay. Or your friend is doing something and you're like, you know, that's really destructive. It's actually sinful. And yet, it's all good. I'm just going to pray for them. Or you're married and you're like, hmm. Yeah, you know, my, my wife does a lot of stuff for me and I don't remember the last time I ever thanked her. But I do a lot of stuff too and that's just kind of like the nature because you're just quiet. You just don't say anything. And a lot of us, we think when you don't say anything, especially the person who you should be saying something to, you think you're being loving because you're trying to be nice. Usually this is like an Enneagram 9 thing. You're trying to be harmonizing. You're trying to be a people pleaser. But you're not really loving them. You're really loving yourself. You just don't want problems in your life. You don't want them not to love you. And so when you look at this, which one is you? Do you use your words in any of these ways? Or even more interestingly, have you ever been on the receiving end of one of these types of conversations. Just know if you have been on the receiving end, 
none of these exchanges are life-giving. Like, I never had a conversation with somebody where it's all criticism. I'm like, man, that felt so good. I'm so glad we met, guys. It's because all those types of talk, you know what they have in common? They're all self-expression. You're all expressing yourself, so it's actually kind of selfish. Or they're all demeaning other people. It's very hurtful. And James actually says, you know what that's like? That's like hell. Verse 6, he describes it as hell. Because hell is a place where all you're doing is thinking about yourself, and you're always disregarding the other person. That talk is from hell, according to James. And why do we do that? Like, why do we use our words this way? And James has an answer. It's because this reveals your heart. Verses 11 to 12, James uses two analogies. He talks about salt water, fresh water, and he talks about fig trees. He says, if you're a saltwater ocean, you won't find fresh water there because the nature of the ocean is to produce salt water. When you find a fig tree, you won't find olives there. Or to put it a modern way, if you find an apple tree, you won't find oranges growing out of that because you will produce whatever your nature is. And James is saying if your talk is often filled with anger, with criticism, with gossip, that reveals something going on inside of you. There is something in your heart that's being revealed in that moment. Jesus echoes the same thing in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus says, quote, How can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth of the speaks from the overflow of the heart. And that's where it gets confusing because a lot of us here, we profess to be Christians where you say, I've devoted to Jesus, and yet we gossip or we are angry, or we we criticize, and how do you make sense of that? And James goes, yeah, I'm thinking specifically of you folks. So look what he says in verse 9 to 10. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, your devoted God, but with that we curse the people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. These things should not be this way. What James is trying to argue is that you might be devoted to God, but when you talk in this way, it shows that your heart is also devoted to something else. It's revealing something. Why are you so angry when someone criticizes you? Why do you get so angry? Oh, that reveals something. You really care about your reputation. You really care about whatever that person is pointing out. And so you will speak in a way that would defend that. Why do some of you, you can't speak hard truth to people? You can't correct them. It's too hard. Because you really, really desire approval. You want people to like you. And that threatens that, to have that conversation. Why do some of you like to gossip and to share information about other people? Can we want to be accepted by the community? We want to have special inside information where people will turn to us. There's something going on in the heart and our words, it reveals it. So what do you see? When you see the way you speak, do you know how, what, what's going on in your heart in those moments? Married couples, husbands, wives, do you want to know what's happening in your heart? Do you want to know how you speak to each other or how you speak to other people? Just ask your spouse. Ask them, hey, how do I talk? Dude, they've been waiting for that since you've been married. They've been waiting for that question. And I guarantee they will have a great, insightful answer if you ask your spouse, hey, how do you talk? It will reveal something about your heart. People in community groups, what do you talk about? What kind of conversations gets you going? What, what do you share in those moments? That reveals a lot about you, what gets you going and what you like to share about. Or here's a big one, social media. You know, social media, those are words, right? Like your DMs, your text messages, what you post. Like, first of all, we all see it. Some of you post on Facebook or Instagram comments and we see you. Like, we see the words. And those words, they reveal something about you. Uh, I, I, I knew a person, they're like the nicest person in person. 
But then when you see them online, like everyone who's opposed to the political party, they go crazy. I was like, dude, I think that's the real you, man. Like what is going on there? Because your words reveal something. You can't hide who you are because your words, it leaks whatever's going on in your heart. Just so personally, I, and I say this personally because I, I don't say this going, yeah, man, because me, I'm like, this is such a problem for me. Like, I have a hard time controlling my tongue. Like, when something is funny, I gotta make a joke. Like, if you do something funny, like, do I have to point it out? That's like, just natural. When someone brings a new idea, like a new hobby or a new fad, my automatic reaction is to talk about how that fad is probably dumb. Like, I'm just like a critic going, ah, that's not gonna go anywhere. Like, that's kind of my natural response. It's so unnatural for me to encourage people with words. Like, I, I give you a thumbs up, but like to give you like words of encouragement, it's so unnatural. But th- that's kind of been the way I've been operating. But it's interesting, as I get older, the deeper relationships I have reveals how damaging that is. Like, I, you can't do that when you're married. Like, you just can't keep that up. Marriage has revealed, like, wow, my words need to change. Being a dad really opened my eyes. Like, wow, my words, like, it's doing some damage. Being a pastor really made me rethink, like, oh, I gotta be careful. It made me notice my words, it affects people. It's almost like the deeper your relationships are with people, the more you see the impact of your words. And yet, it's so hard. It is so hard to change how we speak. And so that leads to the last question. How do we change the way we speak? And that leads to the path of healing. Now, the reason why it's so hard for us to change is it's not a tongue problem, but as James is saying, it's a heart problem. There's something wrong with our heart. And that's why James says, like, nobody could tame the tongue because that deepness, your heart, man, that's hard. That's really hard to shift. Look what he says in verse six to eight. James says, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. You have a better chance taming a lion or an orca than you do your tongue, James says, because your tongue is lit on fire. And it's really interesting, he calls it a fire from hell. Your heart is being empowered by fuel from hell. That sounds kind of crazy, like what in the world? Because your, fire, your, your heart, your words, it just speaks to express yourself. It's all about you, putting down other people. What do you do with that? Sam Alberry, he's a pastor and a writer. He says, uh, one thing he said that I thought was interesting was, you know, the only way you can remove a fire from hell from your heart is you need a different type of fire to be in your heart. And he recounts, uh, which I thought was a very interesting observation, he was saying, um, which actually uh, coincides with today. You know today, 2,000 years ago, do you know what the anniversary it is today? The 2,000 year anniversary. Uh, the early church, something happened this day, 2,000 years ago. Uh, the community, after Jesus died, they gathered together, and they're kind of like wondering what should they do as they move forward. And all of a sudden, uh, this description is given in Acts chapter two, where fire comes down from heaven, fills their hearts, and this is the day we know as Pentecost. This is the day that the church was born. And what's interesting in that moment was when the fire from heaven came down into their hearts, what's the first thing that happens? What's the first thing that gets transformed in them? If you know the story, it's the way they speak. They all start talking differently. What happened? The tongues of fire from hell has been replaced by the tongues of fire from heaven. They're speaking a new language. And this happened because this was a group of people where they are no longer living for themselves, but they're choosing to follow Jesus. They believed in his death and resurrection. 
and are now going to follow him with the rest of their life. And in response to that, Jesus sends the Spirit to change their heart, to fill it with a different type of fire, not from hell, but from heaven. What does it look like for your soul, for your heart to be filled with the fire from heaven? It's not just spitting out Bible verses. You know what it looks like? It looks like now you care about the way you speak. Now you consider, hmm, you know my words? Yeah, I should, think, I should talk differently. Now you repent of the ways you've spoken to people. You know, I look back upon how I talk to people. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel really bad. Now you take day by day learning a new language, the language of heaven, the language of the kingdom. When you have that type of desire, you know the Spirit's working in your heart. Something's happening there. And that's what we need. We need a desire to speak a new way. And not only to speak a new way, but we need to continually learn how to speak a new way and to practice it. What does that look like? And we'll close with these two last things. To experience and to learn how to speak a new way, what we actually need is to continue to hear a new language in our hearts. Um, Why do you speak with anger? Why are some of you so sarcastic? Why are some of you so critical? You know, for me, the reason why I speak so critically, I realize, is have you met my mother? Have you met my father? They speak critically to me when I was growing up. I, I, I received a lot of criticism. And I think that's true for all of us. You learn how to speak the way you've been spoken to. That's how a lot of us grew up. And right now your heart is filled with a lot of criticism, a lot of anger, a lot of judgment. And so you're spitting out a lot of anger, a lot of judgment, a lot of criticism. And this is where Christianity is really beautiful where we believe in a God who did not just speak one day, but he continues to speak now. And we believe he speaks through what we call the scriptures. And the idea is that when you continue to read the story, what's happening is you're not just reading about God, but God, he is speaking to you. He is speaking a new language in you, a new language of healing, a new language of blessing, of encouragement. And when you're just, not just when you're reading, but when he's speaking to your heart, what's happening is your heart is now being filled with not just criticism and anger of the past of your parents, but it's being filled with, again, with blessing and encouragement. But the problem right now for a lot of us, the main voice in your heart, it's your parents, or it's your friends, or it's your teachers. But as a Christian, what we're called to do is we're supposed to hear God's voice be louder and louder and louder as we read the scriptures together. And when that happens, you know you're hearing God's voice because your voice starts to change. Your heart is filled with new things, and so you start speaking in a new way. And not only that, but we're called as Christians to not just experience this, but we're put to practice this with each other. You know, the New Testament, it's so interesting. When you read what the, the writers of the New Testament say, they always tell the church, uh, worship together, serve together, but there's always this constant theme, I'm not sure if you notice it, where talk to each other. The Bible keeps talking about that. For example, just a couple of samples. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Paul writes, let there be no foul language come from your mouths, but only what's good for building up. He's talking to the church in Ephesus. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, Paul writes again, encourage one another, build each other up, church, as you're already doing. Or here's a last sample verse, Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, and then teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In other words, Paul imagines when you gather church, it shouldn't just be the pastor talking. We're all talking to each other. We're all in a community engaging with one another because the church community, it is meant to be a source of life-giving words. If you want to find life-draining words, just go to your family, go to your friends, but life-giving words, this is meant to be a community where you feel and you hear life, where you practice life, where you offer life 
through the power of your words. And that's why God's church, when you're a part of the community like this, man, the words that go on here, it could so hurt you all the more, or it could so heal you in the ways that you need. I've seen church communities, when they gather together, they get wrecked, not because of something crazy happening, like something like a, like a disease or because of a pastor scandal. A lot of times, it's just the way people talk. Do you know when you talk about the church to other people, you shape the way they view that church? When you say out loud in the group, you know, our church isn't very friendly. You know, other people think, yeah, it's not friendly. And you just influence them that way. Because your words have power. Or do you realize when you talk about somebody, you know what that person did? That person, he's, he's a jerk. You make everyone around you look at them like a jerk. It deepens the pain. Because your words have power in this community. Versus on the other side, if you're part of a church community and do you imagine the type of language, you know, church isn't perfect, but I'm so glad I'm here. You know what that does for people, how they view the church? Or when you talk about somebody, you go, you know, that person, man, they're kind of a, they talk a lot in my community group. I'm thankful that they're here. You know what that does for someone, how they view that person? Our words have this unique ability in this community to lift each other up. And that's why all the apostles, all the writers of the New Testament say, use it. That's what the church is for, to give life to each other. I remember a few years ago, I was feeling kind of discouraged. I don't know why, I just discouraged in my brain and just feeling down about stuff, like, oh, like, why am I doing my life? Like that type of moment. I remember someone invited me to their home just to hang out. And we do our normal small talk, you're just hanging out, how's life, how's the kids, and so forth. And I remember at one point, it was so random, the person said, hey, you know, just know, um, you've been doing a really good job, Tom. Like, I, I've been saying, like, listed up specific things. Even, I noticed you did this, this, that. I know that's not easy, but seriously, you're doing a really good job. And you know how I responded to that? I was just like, mm, thanks, man. Like, zero expression, you know, nothing at all. But inside my soul, oh my gosh. Saving my soul, like refreshing my soul. No expression out here, transformation happening here. Just because of this word that this person said. And that's going to be your experience too. I guarantee if you DM someone, if you talk to somebody, if you encourage them in this community going, dude, you know, I see you doing that. That's awesome. Or, you know, you've been like this and it's really encouraging. They're going to give you a thumbs up on DMs. They're going to smile, be like, thanks. Or they'll do the Asian thing. Oh, no, not me, not me, oh God. You know, they'll just do something like that. But what's really going on deep in their souls is you are really giving them life. I promise you, you are giving them life. And that's what the church is supposed to be. A place where we fill people with words because words have power. And when you fill them with words, truth and encouragement, that's when you see a community that becomes truthful and encouraging. And so, in light of this, can I offer us one practice as I invite the praise team up, one practice for our church. Is there someone you can encourage this week? Is there someone you can encourage? Spouses, when's the last time you encouraged your spouse saying, hey, I really appreciate this about you? Maybe it's been a while, let it be a habit. Use your words because your words have power. Anyone else though, if that's a normal thing with your spouse, maybe, or you don't have a spouse, dude, there's so many people you can encourage. Think of someone in your community group. Think of a friend that you share life with. Who's somebody who you could DM, who you could just mention, like, hey, just now I appreciate that. I promise you, if that becomes just a regular vernacular of your life, it is so life-giving. And can you imagine if there's a community that regularly practices seeing our words, it does something. It does something to shape God's people in this way.
And so can we take a moment to pause and really reflect and pray? For some of us, it might be just reflect upon how do you speak? How do you use your words these days? And just coming before the Lord about that? Or for some of us, it might be, you know, there's somebody or there's a couple people who I would want to encourage. And maybe we could have, ask the Lord to give us the type of motivation that would actually go and encourage them. But whatever it is, can we take a moment to pause and to be still and to come before God considering the way we speak? And then I'll close this in prayer. So let's all pray.